Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Six miles was the walk today. Now, I know what you're saying is, uh, well, Tom, six miles is not a long way to walk uh, for somebody who's uh, relatively young. I'm not 50 uh, yet. Um, but I am fat, and um, and um, it's, uh, it's for me, it's probably pretty good. And uh, someday I want to jog six miles. I used to jog six miles. Really, just uh, sixteen? Was it sixteen years ago? Oh my god! That's great being able to jog and when you're really good at it, and like in shape jogging, you can just go and go and go, and really, there's nothing stopping you. You can go where you want to the next town, to the town after that. You can, you know, it it doesn't feel like running. Once you're really good and you've got all the running muscles, it's it's uh, really good. Of course, you know, I am reflecting on times, and I do this way too often. I've not. I have been fat. For sixteen years, well, in I act like like I'm referring back to oh yeah, just the other day when I was jogging. It's like Jesus, that was two thousand four. I was less fat certainly, but now I'm ridiculous. But but uh, yeah, I would like to get into jogging shape again. But uh, I am a uh, glutton and a jerk, and so uh, it's two steps forward, one step back, or whatever that work. However that works out. There was two ways I could have gone, of course, with the. Uh, COVID lockdowns, um, and uh, I chose the bad way, because I choose the bad way, because I'm a jerk, once again. I went to a, a doctor a couple of years ago, and I said, uh, he said, Tommy, you're very overweight, and yada, yada, you need to lose weight and do this, and I said, I said, you know what, the problem is, is that I've been thin in before in my life, like, I was young and good looking, I was a fine looking teenager, and in my 20s, I had some really good years in there where, where I was a good looking guy. And the thin guy, and then into my thirties too, and uh, and so, like if you've been a thin guy with like clothes that fit in the normal sections of stores, and and having in you know when you're a young man and having women think you're attractive, you know I wasn't exactly you know uh, 
Brad Pitt or uh, believe me, I had no game and uh, I managed to screw up any situation where it looked like uh, uh, things were going to be interesting. But but uh, but I think when you have that, when you've been thin before, then you just kind of feel like that the being fat is just a phase. So like I'm sure if you're fat. And chances are you could be because a lot of the country is. If you're fat, I have all my skinny clothes because I'm like this isn't. I'm not fat. I'm just in a fat phase. Phase has been, of course, fourteen years or whatever. But still, it it feels like a fat phase. And you can take fat jokes when you're fat and worth in because you know this is just a. This is just a you know my, you know like it's like your hippie period, but it's just your fat period. But um. But uh, I still have all those cool clothes. I have, I have um, T-shirts from the '90s, and I love them. And I don't want to ever leave them. And uh, I want to wear them again. Although that said, even when quote thin, I was still never like I was never. I never had any muscle. I was always a flabby, horrible-looking thing. Anyway, that's not why you came here. So. Um, I'm writing an editorial, and uh, usually uh, once a week or so, I just like to take a look back, a snapshot back at an editorial for the Lowell Sun and for the Fitchburg Sentinel and Enterprise, and I will be writing uh, possibly for the Boston Herald too, but for right now for these two. And the editorial is about, I like to write one about media malfeasance whenever possible, just to make sure it's there it's been marked there for posterity so somewhere in the world when it's just the smoking embers of what this used to be you look back and say well what led to all this and you'll say well one of the factors could have been just complete media malfeasance where these uh, establishment media groups with oodles of money and uh, and journalists with uh huge ideological passions decided to pretend that they were level journalists and tried to sell themselves as journalists to the American people, but were really activists and misused their positions to intimidate uh, for change. So the most the most recent one that, that happened this week is NBC. So NBC News, a reporter in England, uh, a reporter in England gets in touch with a news site called, it's an English news site called the Center for Countering Digital Hate. You can imagine what this is. This is uh, the Daily Coast, or even more rapid than Huff. This is just a wacko, lefty, crazy site where, shockingly, the all all of the conservative news media sites that they're writing about are portrayed as racist, which is, of course, what you'd expect. And these wacko leftists are saying these people are racist. These are racist. These are racist. These are racist. And this site, this Center for Countering Digital Hate, which might be run by one dude for all we know. We don't know. So they've got this uh, page called the uh, Stop Funding the Fake News page. And there's a bunch of screenshots of news sites there. There's a paragraph at the top reads, Fake news and racist narratives can cause real-world harms. Dehumanizing black people and whipping up fear. Stop funding fake news is fighting back. We are calling on advertisers to blacklist these 10 U.S.-based racist fake news sites. Then they list a bunch of news sites like Breitbart, you know the, the ones, uh, including, and it includes The Federalist, which I would say is more balanced than one would think, and I don't know that they're a racist news site, and Zero Hedge, which I know less about, but I think they're just kind of more aggressive. 
But it, it, it doesn't matter. It, we've seen now, certainly in the last couple of weeks, that if you write news and opinion about the protests or even about the looters, about anything ancillary to the protest that is uh, negative, like the looting, the damaging, you know, the shooting of police officers, whatever, uh, that it is now positioned as racist. And those people are called tone deaf. And it's crazy. And so people are getting canceled left and right. And we've talked about it. I talked about it with Minahan yesterday and uh, and with uh, Todd Feinberg today, who you'll hear from in a bit. So so anyway, so this news site has lists these two websites, the Federalist and Zero Hedge. The news site gets in touch with this reporter who's uh, who's in England. They get together and canoodle or whatever they do. And then the reporter, after you know, look, going through all this stuff about this, uh, the fake news sites, the racist news sites, goes to Google and brings it to the, to the attention of Google and says, hey, Google, by the way, these people get the benefits of your ad platforms. They're served by your Google ads, and they're racist, these two websites. And if you don't believe me, look at this site from... Uh, look at the site, the very reputable and and well-known Center for Countering Digital Hate. And they'll tell you that they're racist. So Google looks at the stuff and goes, oh, my God, no. And it begins doing what they can to uh, deplatform these guys from the the um, the money-making uh, you know, portion of the platform. And it, it just takes a, you know, a couple of minutes and suddenly... The reporter for NBC is all thrilled, and there's a big headline that they tweet all over the place, and it's uh, in news articles saying, Google bans two websites from its ad platform over protest articles. It went on to say that um, the two sites would no longer be able to generate revenue from any advertisement served by Google Ads. Yay! And then, of course, the reporter, um, the reporter who's named Adele Momoko Fraser, she's thrilled with herself with what happened. She thanked the left-wing group. Uh, for their hard work, and she says, and, quote, collaboration. And then she adds at the end of her post, the Black Lives Matter hashtag. So she's thanking these, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, and um, and she's thrilled that this is happening, and she has the Black Lives Matter uh, hashtag. And she's, if, you, if people want to support Black Lives Matter, more power to you. That's absolutely fine. It is an activist group and an activist cause that is now getting shouted out by a reporter, a supposedly uh, neutral reporter of the news. So here we go. And so what she did, and, and everybody knows how this works. You're you're a journalist and you say to Google, hey, by the way, you know all the stuff that's happening out there with all the canceling stuff and the world's changing and people losing careers and company CEOs are having to run away? Think about that while I tell you this. I have it from my good friends here at the very well, well-known Center for Countering Digital Hate that uh, these websites are uh, racist and trafficking and racism, and I don't think you want to be part of that. And so the Google, or whoever it is, Google says, uh, yeah, we don't want to be part of that because we don't want to be written in the news story of us doing that. So I get it, wink, wink, news reporter. We'll give you a different story to write instead and that story is that we've suspended these guys or dropped them from our advertising platform and that's how it works a shakedown of these these companies and so speaking of uh you know 
Speaking of uh, Minahan, it reminded me of the Kirk Kirk Minahan, by the way. If you don't know who he is, it's the Kirk Minahan podcast. He used to be co-host of the biggest sports show in Boston, the morning show. A protester got together with, uh, and this was where we rolled this in, got together with, together with the journalist and put them out of business, essentially. So so it reminded me of this that story, and we talked to Kirk last night, um, of how the Boston Globe journalist, Shirley Lung, used her power and her position to also go after advertisers of the sports station, which is Boston here locally, WEEI, and she used it to uh, pursue them. So Shirley Lung, who always had a problem, never understood, said she wasn't a listener of the, the, the sports station or the sports show, but didn't like it, didn't like the language, um, had a big problem with some of the off-color, uh, racially insensitive stuff that had been uh, that had uh, made the news and this and that. So she decides in 2018, she writes this in the Globe, advertisers need to step up and take their money elsewhere until the culture changes. At the station. So she's now telling advertisers for that radio station, you better get in line. Better get in line. A couple days later, she uh, tweets, um, Margaret Sippel, I assume another reporter, and I have been listening to WEEI to track down advertisers one by one. Here's what happened. So she sat there with a colleague listening to the radio Listening for the advertisers. Oh, wait a second. Who is that? Who is that? This is Acme Sales. This uh, whatever it is. And she's writing them down. She then reaches out to the advertisers <clears throat> as a reporter, which is crazy. As an, I'm sorry, not even a reporter. She was the interim editorial page editor, which is a big honcho in a new- newspaper. So she then, <laughs> she writes this. Valentine's Day, 2018. This is what the uh, the Globe, I guess it calls her Globe columnist at this point, uh, Shirley Lung writes. This is unbelievable to me. This is a journalist writing this. She writes, this week I've been listening to WEEI just so I can track down its advertisers one by one. I'm truly curious. Who chooses to do business these days with a station that disparages Tom Brady's five-year-old and mocks a well-known sports agent? Yada yada yada. One of the one of the uh, uh, jocks did a, an Asian accent. Um. So she said, she she goes on to say, turns out there are plenty who will advertise. Geico, IKEA, Honeydew Donuts, Brookline Bank, East Boston Saving. She lists a whole bunch of bunch of them and many many others. She says, but defections are on the rise. Especially after I contacted advertisers to explain themselves, says the journalist at the Boston Globe. On Tuesday, three more organizations, Citizens Bank, the Mass State Lottery, and the Massachusetts Health Center, cut ties with WEEI. I think, Lung, I just saw that she actually reported as a news story that they'd cut ties with EEI. So she's now creating the news. She's haranguing, threatening, really. It's an implicit threat. These people with ruination, they react, and then they're rewarded. Uh-oh. What do we get here? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I can't get Okay. Okay. She's threatening these people. Essentially that, okay, I'm going to report that you're an advertiser, because that's what I do with my column. And, and you know, if you comply, you'll get a good nod. If not, you know... 
Who knows? You'll get the bad nod like we've heard in this column so far. <sighs> she goes on to say, the reason some advertisers ta- are taking their money elsewhere is simple. It's hard to defend EEI's offensive commentary. You know what? The reason why advertisers are taking their money elsewhere is because they're being threatened by the frigging Boston Globe. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? I know we lived through this a, a couple of years ago, but just reading it again, it is unbelievable to me that she's doing this. I mean, that, that she had done this. She is employed at that place still. That is remarkable. That is remarkable. I, 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 cannot, I cannot believe it. So anyway, uh, that's what I've been doing here uh, so far. Now, uh, back to, before we throw on Todd... Um, Feinberg, I, um, hold on, hold on, okay, sorry about that, I'm, I'm never, I'm never not kind of working, I'm not trying to sound, uh, like, uh, hard out here, but I just have to check my phone sometimes if something pops up there, so, um, Todd Feinberg is the host at WTIC in Hartford, he is a great guy, he, Todd is a brilliant guy, and he is, um, <laughs> And he is uh, somebody I've known for a long time, even back when I was thin and running, as a matter of fact. Todd, I have a witness. So uh, Todd is a, a great and um, and um, really thoughtful uh, thinker. And he's got this, uh, this cold steel uh, personality that I really enjoy. I really enjoy. He's the kind of guy who, during his talk show, if somebody's berating him, Todd will find something funny about it and... He'll appreciate and almost admire, you know, the the artwork in the performance art in the in the collar. He just he's just sees things that way. He's a very funny guy, and he's a thoughtful guy. And I, I've asked him on point of what we've been talking about here about this crazy cancel culture that's swirling around and just gobbling people up. People who were just there a second ago aren't there. I asked him, um, you know, what he makes of it. And there's a story that um, that you'll hear in a moment um, about another local business here where things are just crazy. People are getting canceled. Personalities are changing in about 28 seconds. Somebody goes from perfectly fine to... Two more hogs got the fever. There's a lot of it happening. Fever is spreading badly, and Todd and I will talk about it right uh, now. All right, I'm with Todd Feinberg. I've been uh, radio friends and outside of radio friends with Todd for, my goodness, Todd, it's got to be over 15 years now. Before that, I was a fan. Then I got to work with a man myself. Um, You can find him on Twitter, at Todd Talk. He hosts a radio show, uh, 3 to 7 p.m. on WTIC in Connecticut, News Talk 1080. And uh, follow him on Twitter and all all that stuff. Okay, Todd, you're one of these guys who, of, of all of my friends and... Um, people who I go to to seek counsel, you've got the most level head. I mean, I think that I could see a mushroom cloud in the distance and the wave of radiation about to hit us, and you wouldn't flinch. You're just cool under pressure. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you're amused by such things under pressure. So, well, I figure uh, pressure pressure creates clarity, right? The more you're being squeezed, the fewer your options are. <laughs> At least it appears, and that gives birth to creativity. So those are my favorite moments when you have to be creative. All right, Todd, I'm going to tell you a story, and this is a true story. This just happened. Okay. A, a restaurant in, um, where's Charlie Baker from? 
Uh, Swampscott. Okay. A restaurant in Swampscott, Massachusetts. A couple days ago, a city councilor or selectman, whatever, is having dinner with some friends there, and they're shooting the breeze and having some drinks on the deck. You know, they're open now so they can socially distance uh, and have a good time. And he's talking about uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and saying, well, I've got a problem with the the movement itself is uh, problematic. It's a big Marxist kind of movement. It's very political, this and that. He made it clear that he was uh, sympathetic to George Floyd and the greater you know, movement about police brutality, etc. So while this happens, unbeknownst to him, a bartender or waiter overhears this and uh, takes this uh, intel and goes to Facebook and slams this select- selectman for being a for being a horrible uh, racist, uh, you know, troglodyte who's uh, just a vicious monster. And, uh, you know, quotes him or misquotes him a couple of times. And and uh, so the selectman, when this happens, the selectman's phone call is, phones are jammed, of course. He's getting all sorts of phone calls and people are angry and calling him a racist, isn't it? So the selectman's very upset. He tells the manager of the restaurant that this is unacceptable that this happened. And the manager rightly uh, fires the employee. And then, about a day later or so, the manager posts himself... Uh, in at least on Facebook, maybe in a press release, I'm not even sure, that that selectman is no longer allowed in his restaurant. And though he used to believe in, in that in a restaurant you were supposed to not be eavesdropping, this is too important that this in this day of a in, you know of uh, rape and, uh, uh, racism running rampant, it's too important to ignore. And that selectman is no longer allowed at the restaurant, and there'll be no hate at the restaurant. And he's now offered that server a job again. So now that's just. A one story, Todd. Yeah. But this is happening in its own way all over the place. Uh, we've seen local businessmen, especially in Massachusetts, some very renowned media types have suddenly been deleted and they're just gone. And, uh, you know, the selectman is essentially uh, a persona non grata now. This is some kind of crusade here, Todd, that's gone far beyond a uh, a killing of um, a man in Minnesota. My question to you, uh, what the hell is happening and should we be scared to death? Um, nothing new. And sure, I would say we should be scared to death. You know, it's just the intensity keeps getting turned up. The volume on all this stuff gets turned up. But I figure it's a good thing. We went through an election just uh, not even four years ago. But if you think about the campaign four years ago, and we were just coming up on the conventions and Trump was going to be the nominee and Hillary, the nominee for the Democrats. And but but Bernie Sanders had been the guy who had created the energy for the Democrats and who had to be squeezed out by the insiders who couldn't abide the idea of having their planned nomination, their rigged nomination of Hillary Clinton be interfered with by by a potential popular vote. And then you had. 16 Republicans, all with uh, some level of credentials that made them more appropriate, quote unquote, insiders Mm -hmm. to the tradition of the Republican Party. And Donald Trump won that nomination, ran away with it. And and uh, think about that, that the most appealing people to the country four years ago were Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, both guys coming from the outside as serious disruptors of status quo. Obviously, that's an expression of a lack of satisfaction with what business as usual has created for us. And 
it's kind of unavoidable that four years later, everybody's still feeling that same thing because there's nothing, there's nothing Trump can do as president to satisfy that level of demand. And that level of demand continues because the real issue is not about the president, but our mature society in which everything is rigged and every, every perceived power center has tentacles to another power center. And all this stuff is just, it's not a freewheeling democratic society anymore. And I think I'll just make this one point and then shut up because I'm sorry to give such a long answer. But if we look at what's going on with the reaction to the George Floyd killing, the George Floyd killing to me is based on unions that control all policy in urban America and police unions that control the police departments paid for by the people of cities to protect them, to serve and protect them. And yet what the police actually do is serve and protect the union and follow the rules made by the union. So you have a broken democratic system where the levers of power aren't in the hands of the people. So democracy is now an illusion. It's a performance art, <laughs> this thing that leaders do. And so, yeah, we need to break those things apart and let democratic values and democratic systems reign once again. Okay, so if it is outsiders who feel like they've been cast off and that they have no access to, as you said, the levers of power, how does that translate into you saying that looters are bad and me then demanding that your livelihood be destroyed for saying that? Well, because people don't talk to each other. They run to their their corners uh, and, and go to their their cut man and, and their trainer. You know, when you're in <laughs> battle, you want you want your people around you. And it's a mistake of human nature, I think, that instead of embracing each other, we we go to war with each other. But we really should be having conversations with each other. And the the people who have a vested interest in the fight, the political parties and the media, like all the big machinery wants to make the fight worse and does their best to make it two-dimensional and inhuman. But if we can find a way to reach out and communicate with each other, I think we'll have better results. Hmm. So, you know, it's funny. It's, it's kind of like – so, in other words – is this there are two Americas? Is that what you're saying? There's the in crowd who's connected and part of the establishment, power establishment, and then there's the rest of us who are outside fighting each other. Um, yeah, that's one of the two Americas. There's also the dividing of America into two. The way uh, who who was that ridiculous Southerner who ran for president uh, eight or ten years ago? Um, who, who got in the sex scandal. Oh, uh, yes. Um, the senator. Uh, yes, the, with the nice hair. Edwards. Jo, Ed, yes, Edwards. John Edwards. Yes. So John Edwards campaigned on the two Americas. And I was screaming, what is he talking about, two Americas? It's not the two Americas of the rich and the poor. It's the two Americas of the, those who are operating in some semblance of what America was intended to be based on the founding documents and notions of liberty and this socialist slash communist thing that that has been allowed to develop in the cities where it's all a rigged system that is outside of the realm of the American system of government. But yeah, there's there's definitely a multiple to Americans. But you know if so I assume the media is complicit in this. That well I know they're complicit in this, right? Because otherwise if Uber Eats in New York City is suggesting that they're going to eliminate fees for black-owned businesses, which is a very nice gesture, but not white-owned businesses. 
Um, and, you know, other but there are other provisions like this happening. What is it? In Kentucky, they want to offer, the governor wants to offer free universal health care for black residents, but not white residents. Obviously, there's a big constitutional problem with both of those that should be glaring and should be front page news. But these are lauded. These measures are lauded by the people who should know better in the media. So are they in on the joke in the grift as well? Well, I think the big grift for the media is, and you know this, Tom, you're in the in the print business, that as the print business dies, as the broadcast business dies, everything's dying because every because there's so much diversification of platforms going on and different ways that people are filling their time. It used to be if you were in the car, you were just listening to to us talk radio hosts, and now you've got a telephone there, and you've got um, a YouTube you can watch that somebody sent mm-hmm. you a link to on your drive home. God help us all. And, you know, there's all kinds of distractions. So the media, I view us as being just so desperate, in particular the news media. They don't want to pay any journalists. They get rid of all the journalists because they cost money and they hire kids and say, you go report this story. And some of those kids might be inspired by journalistic values that they read about in an encyclopedia, I suppose. But the real value today is to get clicks. And how do you get clicks? Okay, so Todd, you, you we've talked about the idea that this is at a fever pitch. When does this recede, or does it recede? I don't know. You know, I just did this forum with Art Laffer, and he was talking about um, when when the the stranglehold of the blue states by the Democrats and and the rigged system with the unions, and when that's gonna. When, when there's going to be a turnaround for those states. And he said, well, let me bring you back to the collapse of the old Soviet bloc countries. Mm-hmm. And when those collapsed, those countries were the hottest properties in the world. And I said, yeah, but they had an advantage. They had collapsed. Mm-hmm. What happens in a state like Connecticut or a Massachusetts or New York, you know, a big blue state where all the money, the discretionary money has been stolen and it's not discretionary anymore. It has to pay huge debts to public sector unions that serve no purpose of public good. It's only an election rigging scheme. How do you get from here to there? I don't know how you get from here to there. I don't know how you correct this thing except to create the collapse so that it becomes clear enough to people uh, what, what the options are, you know, what, what the fork in the road represents. But short of that, it requires us to find a way to bond with each other. Back to what I was saying before, you know, I'm having a lot of black activists, urban activists on my talk radio show and, and AM talk radio generally goes to, um, to older white suburbanites skewing, skewing male. But I want to open it up and get their voices on the air because I, I realize we don't know what they even sound like talking about this issue in an honest way, not Mm -hmm. partisans who are going to give us all the razzle dazzle about Black Lives Matter, but people who have been thinking and living these experiences their whole lives to to um, discuss them honestly. And that requires me to do a little wrestling with my audience, which wants to react in these rote ways. You know, those kind of standard conservative responses Mm -hmm. that say things like, well, uh, they're all upset because one of their people gets killed by a cop. But wait a sec, five years ago, such and such happened. And we have to break out of those knee-jerk adversarial 
modalities and responses, I think, and actually have conversations with each other so we can understand what's in each other's hearts. Yeah. And if you start with hearts, then you can add heads in and you, maybe you can get somewhere. And, and I love that idea. And since I've gotten into really um, the newspaper business, talking to more people, uh, more black people, people in minority communities and situations, you get a whole different story than you're fed, even by uh, even by academia or uh, media thought leaders. But but how do you fight with that? How do you, how do you compete with that? Okay, you're going to have a couple of voices come on the air, and they're going to give you their experience from their from their wisdom and from their experience uh, in in their own communities. It's the the you know pure raw truth, or at least as close as they can get to that. But then you have to fight against half of this country are card-carrying members of a party that depends on strife and depends on, uh, you know, on us going at each other's uh, throats constantly. How do you compete? Well, the question to me is the reverse. I'll throw it back at you. If you are just jumping into that left-right paradigm, the binary how do you make your voice heard and how do you have influence if you want to say something meaningful as opposed to just repeating talking points? So there's this team mentality to it, what I've always called Yankee suck syndrome, where you're, you know, if you're a Red Sox fan, then the Yankees suck. Right. That's definitional. It's structural. Why? Because you were born in the Boston area. Right. That's it. Like all your, all that emotional energy is funneled in that direction simply because of your point of birth or the attitudes of those who lived in your house and raised you. And that's how we do politics. So it seems to me all of the opportunity exists to have a meaningful influence over people by influencing them to step outside of that binary and stop. Because when you're in the binary, to some extent, you're being victimized by the energy of that structure. You're buying into somebody else's design and somebody else's talking points and debate. And if I'm going to have people following me on the radio, I want to open their eyes up to the obvious. That's what I feel like I spend all my time doing. And, and I feel like the win is to be able to open people's eyes a little bit and shift their perspective in tiny incremental ways. Mm -hmm. we, because we already know that we share values because I'm there for three or four hours every day, especially now that the Red Sox are gone and we, I don't have to be preempted by then. So I, I've got all this time, and I've been doing it in Connecticut for three years, and everybody knows me and what I think. So I've got their trust, and most of them will listen to me as I tell them something they don't want to hear that makes me sound to them. They'll call up and say, oh, you've been taken over by the, uh, you know, by the radicals. And no, I haven't been taken over by anything except the desire to have an honest conversation. If you're ready for that, join me. And I think most people... Uh, are, allow themselves to be reached out to in that way. Well, I think that's great that you're doing that. In, if it, in talk radio, traditionally, really, you don't. The only thing you talk about generally, I'm not saying you, but and yes. it's is you know EBT abuse. I mean, the only time really the black community comes up are in negative con connotations, EBT uh, abuse or fraud. Or uh, you don't generally talkers don't talk about street uh, you know fighting gang wars and and the homicides within the black communities because I don't think the well the audience isn't generally in the black community and because I, it's it's hard to create an argument over it who's going to say that the shootings are good the shootings are bad it's tough to talk about so um so it's interesting that I mean maybe not yeah but look at 
look at where we're at, Tom. Mm-hmm. What what I to me is painfully obvious. It's obvious what the problem is here. And the solutions being offered, mostly by Democrats, but also by the president and others, are knee-jerk, superficial non-responses. Right. You, you can say, okay, we'll ban chokeholds nationally. Well, first of all, the federal government shouldn't be involved with this argument. So any national politicians running around offering controls over local policing is doing the wrong thing in our system. So you can just shut them off and say those people should not be doing that. Okay, your local politicians, what are they doing? They're saying chokeholds. Oh, cameras. Everybody needs a camera. Well, Dennis Chauvin had a camera on. How did that help George Floyd? Right. Well, <laughs> you know, all the uh, responses coming out. Let's have a conversation about what the problem is. The problem is unions control, just like in schools, that you can't fire a bad cop. Mm-hmm. Most police chiefs don't even bother trying to discipline bad cops. It takes too much political capital. What's the upside for them? Their job is to have a peaceful environment politically and not upset the mayor or whoever their boss is. So there's no incentive under this structure to actually make anything good happen. Besides, all you have to do now is you fire the people instantly, and then in two years, three years, well, what happens? They get their jobs back, and they get back pay, and and it's a little story in the news. Is that an overtime alarm that's going that's up? That's really stupid. I have, a, I have a budget meeting, which in newspapers is about uh, print size and inches, really. But uh, no, okay, before we go here, all right, so you have to have the local, you have to talk to local elected officials. But the Hartford City Council is in the pocket of these unions. They're, you yeah. know, they feed so off each other. So up the partnership. This is my point. So I want to I wanna bond with the people in Hartford and the other cities in Connecticut. And then I want to say to them, by the way, the way you beat this is by having an American system of government reinstituted in the cities. If you had liberty, if you had competitive schools, if you had competitive police departments, they were, you could pick the one who was the you know independent agency come in. In, in some way, if you can replicate markets, everything works better in markets. Are you willing to say to the restaurant industry in the city of Hartford, we're going to get rid of you all and assign this to the mayor to take over and and the city council. They're going to run the restaurants and they'll only be, maybe they'll have one or two restaurant names and they'll decide what the menus are. Like who would sign up for that? (laughs) Who would sign up up for one supermarket chain? And the city council decides what the foods are that they offer. Oh man, that's an uphill battle, Todd. I'm glad you're doing the uh, doing the uh, work, though. I think that's fantastic. I mean, I don't know. I just think the mo- I, I think the moment you made any progress and minds started to be started to be changed, you'd have incredibly powerful forces going to that community and saying, "Don't negotiate with the racists who've made put you in this condition." You know, these are the people. This climate of hate. This these are. He's just simply, you know, a, a one of. Uh, one of the clerics spreading it, and uh, remember, look out for his forked tongue. I can't imagine. Well, that may be, but to me, the only way we, the only way we shield ourselves from false accusations is by making human connections with, with people. So, if somebody told me, "What are you doing doing a podcast with Tom Shattuck? He's a racist and a hater." I can say, "I know the guy. He's neither of those things." And and, and go, go somewhere else with your garbage. And and th- so that's why I'm trying to make friends in the community so that. Of the people who have depth, 
and caring and sincerity in trying to solve problems, they can look at me and say, hey, this guy's trying to give me a bigger voice and treat, he's treating me fairly. So uh, they become immune to those accusations. That's the hope. I don't know. What, what better thing can I do with my time? <laughs> I think that's great. And I think somebody with your cool, calm, collected temperament is perfect for this because you're you're, uh, you know, Teflon to the slings and arrows. Generally, actually, you're amused by them, like the mushroom cloud. And uh, I love that you're <laughs> you're going to have these conversations. You should follow Todd Feinberg on, at at Todd Talk at Todd Talk T O D D T T O D D T A L K on Twitter, and he's at W T I C News Talk 1080, which is in Hartford. You can get to him at uh, I assume W T I C Just look at yeah, it. Yeah, the find best it. thing though is if people go to my I've got a Facebook fan page now, okay. Tom, and so if people go to ToddTalk.com, just use that that domain. Then that'll bring you right to my Facebook page, and uh, we can bond from there. That sounds great. Good luck with all this, Todd. I'm thrilled that you're doing this, and uh, let's stay in touch, my friend. Thank you, Thomas. So will things get back to normal? Does this recede? Does uh, common sense come back into play? If I feel like we've... I, I'm not a big drug guy, but I did take uh, mushrooms in 1991. And reality was for about four hours really twisted and crazy there for a while. And everything was like, uh, you know, thoughts and, and visuals were all Salvador Dali. And distortion was crazy, but it was kind of cool. And then, of course, there was four hours where it was just simply terrifying. But uh, that's what I feel like. I feel like here we're still on this trip. And are we going to get out of this trip? I remember those last four hours. I wanted that trip to end. I'm ready for this bad trip of craziness to end. So how do these things end if they do end? Uh, if you don't listen to Victor Davis Hanson, you really, really should. Uh, he talked about how this is dangerous because what's happening now is a cultural revolution. And he brings some examples to the table that I think are very helpful and, uh, and will <laughs> at least get you appreciating that this is our not our uh, first time here. We're not in a political revolution. Nobody, this is not a movement to remove a particular president. This is a whole, and I'm now quoting the left, they use the words, the key words, systematic and holistic. In other words, they feel that we've moved way beyond George Floyd. Nobody mentions him anymore. It's very callous the way that that's happened, but they feel that he was a catalyst for a larger revolutionary discussion about every aspect, 24-7, 360 degrees about our lives. And by that, I mean the cartoons your children watch, the movies that you watch, the TV shows that you turn on, the statues in your neighborhood park, the, uh, the vocabulary that you use, and the police that you call when you're in trouble on 9-11, all of those are now subject to discussion, i.e. radical revision. I have no problem if that's what they want to do, but the problem with a cultural revolution is it's all-encompassing and it demands perfection. And so when Muammar Gaddafi took over, he wasn't just a thug, he had this Green Book revolution, and he destroyed all the violins in Tripoli, and he made everybody grow chickens in their bathtub in apartments. And, he tried to, and then he gave everybody $10,000 if they would marry a black woman as one of their wives so that he could be the savior of pan-Africanism. And the point I'm making is that when people close to him didn't want to grow a chicken and a general didn't want 
you know, to marry someone from the Sudan or Uganda or somebody else said, you know, um, I secretly like to play the violin or listen to it. Then it stopped because it was getting too close to home. When Mao's cult unleashed the cultural revolution and those kids went out and put dunce caps on intellectuals and bashed people's heads in and killed them if they wore glasses. When they started doing that to people too close to Mao, it stopped. And Robespierre, remember, created the use of the guillotine. He didn't invent it, but he adapted it in 1793, and he ended up on it. Ooh, I don't want to grow a chicken center for countering digital hate. Oh, my goodness. That is Victor David Hansen, and I would always suggest him. All right, guys, see you tomorrow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.